What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's episode is going to be great. Our guest is Dr. Sidney Finkelstein. If you don't know Sid, you should, because he's awesome. He's the Stephen Roth Professor of Management at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. He holds a master's degree from the London School of Economics and a PhD from Columbia. He's published 25 books and over 90 articles, including the bestsellers, Why Smart Executives Fail and Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, which Reid Hoffman of LinkedIn calls the leadership guide for the networked age. He's also the host of his own fantastic podcast, The Sidcast, where he uncovers and shares all sorts of stories from fascinating people in business, sports, entertainment, politics, academia, and everyday life. So kick back, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Dr. Sidney Finkelstein on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome in, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, here we are, Corporate Bartender, episode 77. It's been a long time. It's been a long time we've been doing this. We're, we're getting on our anniversary I think our anniversary. What what is our actual anniversary? I think it's next week. I'm going to have to check that because we'll have to do something wacky. Well, next week is the Blarney episode of the corporate. Wouldn't that be timed appropriately? (laughs) Just a big bunch of Blarney. Gosh, I can't. Go ahead, Cindy. I was just going to say today is actually the anniversary one year anniversary of the last time I saw a client face to face. Oh God. Crazy yeah. town. And right? I, was supp- I was supposed to see him virtually today, but he had to cancel, which would have been very, you know, loop. Yeah. yeah. The bending of space time, just <laughs> weirdness. Yeah. Well, today's the one year anniversary of our first confirmed positive COVID in the office. Wow. Um, we that was tried our- to be ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to flatten your curve, I think. Is what- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So my number two was madly writing a policy and on uh, wearing masks or something. Hand washing, I think, was all we were up to at that point. Mm. And emailing it to me while I was on Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro. Oh, that's that's what you want to get on the beach. I, yeah. <laughs> but I'm so glad we took that vacation because it's been a long damn time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I say it every week. I can't believe, you know, here here we are getting ready to close out Q1. It's just sneak it up us really quickly. Can't believe it. Can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. But it's good to see you all. Um, today is going to be a fun day. Um, looks like we've got some newbies, so we're going to do some intros. Uh, we'll go through a couple of resources for those new folks, news you can use. We've got a couple of items that are relevant to stuff we've been talking about. And then we have a guest today. We have Dr. Sidney Finkelstein. Say hey to everybody, Sid. Hey, everybody. <laughs> let's, give, let's give him a big TCB welcome. Here we go. <laughs> nice. That's going to be fun. Then we'll do our regular end stuff and get on out of here for dinner. So intros. So Lori, pick us out some new people here. 
Yes, absolutely. I'm excited. Let's see. How about uh, how about Zanita? What are, the question, what are the questions we yeah. ask of Zanita? Yeah, so the questions are, uh, who are you? Where are you? What do you do? And what is one really boring fact about you, Zanita? Hmm. Well, hello, everyone. Glad to be here. I'm Zanita Henderson. I actually work at, um, I'm a subsidiary of Cable Labs. I work for the SCTE, Society of Cable Telecommunications Engineers out of Pennsylvania. I am located in Eagleville, Pennsylvania, which I am a big Eagles fan right outside of Philadelphia. So <laughs> very happy to be here. And let's see, one thing that is very boring about me, I like to think I'm pretty a pretty exciting person. <laughs> <laughs> But I would say that when we finish this, I'm going to go and um, lead our um, lead our mass prayer for this evening for our um, Lenten reflection. Lovely. Mm. And what are you going to what are you going to give up for Lent, Zanita? Do you have you picked it out yet? I have given up soda for Lent. Soda. So you're probably drinking just straight tequila right now. <laughs> yeah. Only I drink, right? And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a big water drinker, but you know Phil's got us on that hint kick. So yeah. I've been trying out the hint water so that I can start, you know, getting myself, you know, back into physical shape. There you go. There, there you go. Excellent. Right. Well, welcome, Zanita. It's lovely. Thank to see you. you. Thank, Thank you for inviting me, Lori. Yeah, absolutely. And let's see, uh, Chelsea. I see that you're you're joining us on your looks like your phone. Um, are you able to say hello and introduce yourself? It's like you're Hi. Here. Yes, I am. Um, and it's. Uh, dinner time here in Philly. So sorry for being off um, camera, but I'm just no probably some stuff. Uh, no but yeah, I'm Chelsea Badeau and I work for Comcast. I manage editorial production and um, I'm in Philadelphia and I'm really excited to be here and listen in and boring thing. Um, well, my kids say I hate all fun things. I hate theme parks. I hate crowded spaces. <laughs> so I guess I'll go with that. I hate all fun things. Well, all right then. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you could join us. And yeah, feel free to uh, continue with dinner and, and whatever you have going on. So thanks for being here. Yeah, that's how it works here at The Bartender. You come as you can, you stay as long as you can tolerate us, and you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to. <laughs> exactly. And I see that um, my friend Sheldon just popped in. Hi, Sheldon. We Hello. were just just doing some some quick intros of, of newbies on the call. Um, so if I can put you on the spot right away, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can... That's just what I was looking forward to, to be put on the spot. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you're Perfect. on the spot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just who are you? Where are you? What do you do? And what's a boring fact about you, Sheldon? A boring fact? Oh, good Lord. We like okay. to mix it up. Uh, well, I'm, I live in Boulder, Colorado, um, and we are curiously uh, watching this biblical storm that may be far away. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I saw something just an hour ago that they're talking about like upwards of 90 inches in some parts, which is, I, can't, I can't relate. To yeah. <laughs> Better get your milk and your toilet paper right now. Yeah. I mean, three feet is one thing. 90 inches is something totally different. Yeah. Um, I'm a, an executive coach and consultant. Uh, I love working with, um, you know, with folks and organizations that I believe in and um, who are interested in, in learning and building really good cultures. 
to execute what they want to do, you know, and be of service. Awesome. What's your last name, Sheldon? Romer, R-O-M-E-R. Awesome. Like a former governor. Oh, yeah. 30 years ago. Uh, um, Make me feel young, Sheldon. Making me feel young. (laughs) (laughs) A boring fact. Uh, Yeah, I'm still a Dodger fan. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Brooklyn. (laughs) So you're an original Dodgers fan. I am indeed. And are you still, have you accepted the LA thing? Are you over it? Or is that still a point of contention? <laughs> no, no, I'm over it. It was a <laughs> event when it happened because I still remember it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad not to be a Rockies fan, frankly. So yeah, yeah, that's not a good thing. And I don't think it ever will be uh, just because we don't like to make decisions. Lori, Lori says cubbies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks everybody for, for chiming in. Did we get everybody, Lori? Is there anybody I, I'm missing? I think so. I think we got them all. Right on. Well, new folks, uh, we have a, a separate place that we hang out uh, called the Bartender Network. It's over at the-corporate-bartender.mn.co. It's a little private social network for just this elite group of awesome folks. And as I love to do this to annoy everybody, you can do it on your phone. Get the app. Get the app. Um, it's a cool place. We we post articles. We post uh, funny stuff. We support each other. We share stories and best practices. Um, we won't spam you. We don't bother you really generally. Um, but it's a cool repository for cool stuff. And when people have questions, it's easy to throw them up there if you can't wait until next Wednesday to get them out there. All right. So a couple of news items. Um, these first two are actually from Lori. So I'm going to let her talk about them. Uh, this one, first one is a thing that we've been talking about, you know, just stress and burnout of, of employees over the last year. Um, you know, as, as we see the pinprick of light at the end of the tunnel, uh, that we desperately hope isn't a train, um, we're starting to see some people make plans. So Lori sent me this article. Tell me, tell us about the article, Lori. Yeah, it was just, you know, yet again, more studies and surveys that are talking about um, a potential, uh, you know, tsunami of (laughs) exits from the workforce. You know, from the workforce, and that, you know, one in four are planning to quit. And they said that among millennials and employees with children at home in remote, you know, learning situations, it's more like one in three that are thinking about leaving, um, you know, it's affecting women at a higher, you know, proportion. And, um, you know, they said that this, uh, Eagle Hill consulting did this study and they said that, um, it's up to 58% of employees are feeling the significant burnout, which is up from like 45% of early days of the pandemic. So it's just compounding and, and continuing. Um, another study found 76% are experiencing burnout. And so the article is just kind of talking about, you know, while leaders are, are still kind of knee deep and dealing with COVID now, we need to really start thinking about what are we going to do when there is more, you know, relief from that, given these, you know, these statistics and about, you know, needing to survey your staff about how they're doing and, um, 
you know, talking about career counseling and mentoring and upskilling and, and really trying to look at some retention strategies because it, it could be a uh, kind of a chaotic time if people start heading for the doors. So wow. just a lot of apropos uh, data from what we've been talking about in recent weeks. Yeah. Those burnout numbers, <clears throat> well, they, they didn't surprise me. Uh, they, they made me sad. Um, especially that second study that had the number up in the seventies. I just, you know, I, I know that, that we're, we're facing that we're dealing with that, um, individually, collectively. And, uh, I, I, I didn't want it to be as bad as I thought it was, I guess is the way <laughs> to say that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm so curious, are, yeah, yeah, what are, are, um, are you hearing these things in your organizations or do you have concerns from, you know, what you've, what you've seen feeling like you've got some flight risk going on? Anybody? Ah, flight risk. That's a perfect segue into the flight world. Uh, <laughs> <as> flight attendant <laughs> as my main gig. I'm looking forward to this snowstorm because I think my trips are going to get canceled this week. <laughs> I will have, be happy to hunker down either here or in Dallas where I'm supposed to go. Um, yeah, um, I'm a trainer for Frontier Airlines and we, yeah, definitely had a lot of flight attendants take flight because of this, but the company was very generous, had a, a voluntary leave where you could maintain your benefits for six months. Um, that expires at the end of this month, obviously, but um, our training department has already informed us that we have a tall order because we did lose quite a few people. Um, obviously some really good people too. So we will be amping up our training, um, start, we have a class starting next week, I think it is. Um, but in any event, that's, you know, one industry obviously that has been hit hard. Uh, by the way, you can't get COVID on the plane. I can just tell you that. Right. <laughs> 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 Who's getting COVID on the plane. I don't think anybody is. I've been flying through this whole thing, but, uh, regardless, um, we've, we were the first airline to take the huge precautions and I'm very glad and grateful for everything that they've done. And, um, again, you know, training is huge. Our HR department has been very proactive trying to make sure they're staying ahead of the curve, but, uh, there are going to be a lot of industries that are hit. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. The, the next couple of stories are actually thematically connected to, to our guest today. So Lori, why don't you tell them about this HBR article? Yeah. So I thought this was great <clears throat> about how storytelling can really connect to your ability to be an impactful leader and that, you know, telling a compelling story is how you can build credibility for yourself and, and your ideas. And it's how you inspire and how you get people to, to follow. And, uh, you know, I thought it, it's, it's a, it's a brief article and it has a lot of, you know, tips around if you're trying to be persuasive and, and inspiring that, you know, just, just telling them the facts, isn't going to do it. That if you can weave right. storytelling into it, that it connects the the humanity to, to what you're trying to get a workforce to do. So I thought it was just a great connection between the two because that, you know, we're wired for story. That's, that's how we connect as humans. And so if we are thoughtful about that in our leadership practices, that, that can actually give us a leg up too. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I was reading that story and then just sort of following the threads through these stories about storytelling. Right. Um, and I was reading a Forbes article that pointed me to this 
old HBR article from 2011 written by Morag's good friend, John Baldoni. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of cool. And it was just basically the components of, of, of a story when you're trying to get someone on your side, when you're trying to win someone over things like connecting it to the right example, not just using a one size fits all approach, um, weaving your narrative, using personal connections to the subplots um, and being passionate about it. Right. No, nobody wants to hear a story that you don't believe in. And, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, thinking about things like exodus of talent um, and, and, and trying to figure out how to remain relevant in the world. Um, I wanted to circle back before we dive into to the content today with Evans. We talked a couple of weeks ago about doing a uh, cohort of fast fulcrum folks uh, in the remain relevant course. Um, Evans, you just want to pop in and, and remind the folks what we're doing, and I'll put the link in the chat to Fast Fulcrum. Yeah, by all means. So where to begin? So because <laughs> uh, there's there's new folks here. So my name is Evans Mayhew. I actually uh, built a curriculum a number of years ago. I was a adjunct professor for about 17 years, and I've also I did that in tandem with while I was working in technology. And um, I identified what I think are a lot of a lot of holes in higher education. I don't think that higher education is necessarily preparing people appropriately for the challenges that we are now brow deep in. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, five years ago, it was it was fairly obvious where things were moving, and now they're they're vastly accelerated. So I created a curriculum to to teach the skills that would help people survive and thrive in the age of coronavirus and automation. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, the, the first class is called Remain Relevant. So um, thanks for weaving that in there, Eric. And my ears perked up when you said that. Hey, so, I know uh, you. I got you, boo. <laughs> so um, I'm going to send everybody a code. I'm going to put it out on the, on this, on the, uh, the, I guess we could call it, is it a forum or app or what? Are it's we the network, Evans. The, the mighty network. The mighty network. So I'm going to put that out there, put a code out there for you all or for people whom you think would benefit from the first class. So in the first class, what I do is I interconnect um, the, the Japanese methodology of Ikigai with some practical stuff that I used to do when I did intelligence work. So competitive intelligence methodologies such as SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and then PEST, political, economic, social, technological. So interweave those. Um, folks who have gone through it have, have really, uh, really gotten a, a kick out of it and found it to be very beneficial. Well, I'll put the code out there and um, would love to see everybody in there. We're talking about kicking it off on St. Patrick's Day. Which is um, which is apt. That's so your nice. first your first lecture, you'll be drunk. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm gonna be plastered. So uh, so uh, so yeah, it's it's funny because that is the 27th anniversary of my proposing to my wife. Aww. Yeah. Oh, look, nice. Let's let's give you some love for that. Give you some love for that. 27 years is a long time to do anything, buddy. I know, right? My hair was brown. Oh, look at that. Look at Lori. What are you doing there, Lori? Thank you. He's <laughs> giving you some love. On his page. It's yeah. Really, it's a beautiful sketch. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, uh, thank you. 
So yeah, we're talking about kicking it off uh, next week and uh, doing it sort of cohort style. So if anybody's interested or um, has somebody that they know might be interested in, I know a lot of times we'll tell things to people and they'll go, yeah, that sounds great. I don't want to do that, but I know somebody who would love to do that. Lori, Lori always tells me, I don't want to read that book. You tell me about it. Tell me what was in that book. Um, So if there are folks who are interested in it, fastfulcrum.com is the website. Check it out. Um, And if you're on the network, uh, you'll get the code. If you're not on the network and you're interested in it, just, just reach out to me, Eric at skyteam.com. And I will make sure that you get hooked up. All right. With that, I'm going to hand the keys to Miss Lori Lance so that she can dive into today's big interview with Dr. Sydney Finkelstein. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Yes, I am so pleased to uh, welcome Professor Sydney Finkelstein. Um, I met Sid a few years ago when I attended a it's a it's a five day intensive executive leadership program um, at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. And it's a leadership program that's designed for um, cable technology and operations executives, uh, which has been running for, I think, about 10 years now. And Sid is a leader of this program. He teaches the curriculum on strategy and leadership, and he uh, also serves as kind of a daily host to all of the participants. Fantastic program. I loved it. Um, And I want to share a little bit more about his background before we kind of kick things off here. So Sid is the Stephen Roth Professor of Management at the Tech School of Business at Dartmouth College. Um, He holds a master's degree from the London School of Economics and a PhD from Columbia University. Uh, He's published about 90 articles and 25 books, um, including a couple of bestsellers, uh, Why Smart Executives Fail and Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent. Um, Sid is also a fellow of the Academy of Management, a consultant and a speaker to leading companies around the world. He's a top 25 on the Global Thinkers 50 list of top management gurus. Wow, right? Um, but his his research and his consulting work often relies uh, on in-depth and personal interviews with hundreds of people. And that's the experience that led him to create and host his own podcast called The Sidcast. And um, it, it gives him the chance to uncover and share the stories of all sorts of fascinating people in business, sports, entertainment, politics, academia, um, and everyday life. And so he's, he's wrapping up the second season of the Sidcast with about 90 episodes completed. So I've been having a, a good time kind of picking through those and, and checking, checking a lot of those out. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were chatting with Sid a couple of weeks ago and, you know, anticipating this and, and, you know, what I noticed, I listened to the trailer of your, of your podcast Sid, at the very beginning, and you talked about the reason that you, you thought about doing this project. And I love what you said about wanting to create a place to have real conversations, to talk about who we are as people and how we became the person that we became and the journey that we're still on, because people care about these things, right? People are longing for these stories and these, these connections, and we don't talk about them nearly enough. And so, you know, with, with that in mind, I would love to hear about your journey, right? What led you to where you are today and, and what were maybe some interesting or unexpected stops along the way? <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, thank you, Lori and, and Eric and uh, everyone else. There are a couple of familiar faces that have been in the Tuck 
um, SCTE program, and it's exciting. I've been the faculty director of that program for, well, since its inception 10 or 11 years ago. And I'm not just saying it, but it really is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite programs. It's mm -hmm. people, uh, people used to come directly to us and they will come back, but we've, we've done it on Zoom in, the, uh, in, in this year. And remarkably, the, uh, the evaluations and the feedback were as strong as they've ever been, even on Zoom, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but in any event, um, I'm happy to, to be here and, and chat with you, answer questions that you have. And so, Lori, my, my journey, do you have three or four hours for that question? I mean, <laughs> um, um, so I am uh, I'm Canadian um, and uh, grew up in Montreal and then went to these schools that Lori, uh, that Lori mentioned. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, like all of us, I think we can think of a few uh, watershed moments in life that uh, that had gigantic uh, influences on the direction we ended up uh, we ended up going. And I'll I'll just share with you uh, a couple of them. One of which has a lot to do with the Superboss's book, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first is when I was in um, ninth grade. Um, I was uh, you know typical kid. I would hang out with my friends. I'd play sports every day uh, after school and. Um, and I was an average uh, student. Uh, and then in English, I guess, English composition class, we had to write some type of um, fiction, some type of story, and it was like a big story we had to do. And so I just wrote it fine. And the teacher sent, gave, when he gave it back, there were some red marks, you know, as they used to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he also wrote at the top, you know, uh, Sydney, uh, you, uh, you know how to write. You have a talent. And have you ever thought about it? And of course, that. I thought it was directed to the wrong person because I wasn't into anything like that. Um, I was into baseball, hockey, football, uh, hanging out. And, uh, but uh, you know, it's, a, it's a power of a teacher, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. Something I've tried to emulate in my own career as a, as a teacher, of course, for much older students, 28 years mm -hmm. old is the average age of a Tuck MBA student. But in any event, that, that had a big influence and I ended up starting to write a little bit for fun pretty regularly. And of course, you know, Part of my career is uh, is writing, and so it had a um, it really made a big difference. And the second little anecdote uh, uh, is is this: uh, in college, um, when I was um, just before my last year, I don't call it a senior year because in Canada there were three years of university, two years of junior college, three years of university standard, at least in Quebec, and. Um, so between the second and third year, and third year again, you graduate, uh, that's when you usually get an internship that leads to a job. And I didn't know really what I was going to do, but my, I have an older brother who was an accountant, and he seemed to like it. And so I figured, okay, I'll study accounting, among other things. And, um, and I got a job. Uh, I got an internship, summer internship with an accounting firm in Montreal. And um, you know, the work was fine. Um, I didn't. I really didn't know a lot about anything when you think about it. When you're whatever I was, twenty or twenty-one, uh, and I, um, um, you know, I went through the summer and things went well. And then you sit down for your um, review with the with the manager at the end of the summer. And uh, and I, I remember it very very clearly. He said to me, you know, you you really have a talent for this. You're smart. You're able to do this. But there's one thing, really one thing you want to work on. And so that got me to the edge of my seat because what is it I got to I got to <laughs> And he said you you asked too many questions. Oh no. Is that a thing? Can you do that? <laughs> and I uh, you know I, I thanked him. And that of course is my last day in accounting. 
because even at that young age, I knew intuitively that didn't make any sense to me. In fact, what, what is my career? What, what, what is the career? The career is asking questions, asking really, really good questions, and then trying to figure out some answers to them. I mean, that's what I do on the podcast. And certainly, I mean, that's what research is, right? Research starts with a question that is, 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 is compelling, is interesting, is important that people care about. And that turns out to be, as you know, everyone I'm sure knows, sometimes asking the right question is more important than anything else because it puts you down a path, whether it's in a company, whether it's for a project, whether it's for a strategy, or in the case of the things I've done. And um, um, a few twists and turns led me to an academic uh, direction, uh, um, and I ended up uh, loving it. It was like a major discovery. Um, I thought I liked it, but I, I loved it, and I uh, stayed in it ever ever since. But the other thing I'll say is when you're a professor, um, you're really an entrepreneur. Another thing I did not know when I started, you're really mm. an entrepreneur because, uh, I mean, it's an unusual career. There's a career where you can get lifetime guaranteed employment if you get tenure. And that doesn't <laughs> exactly exist in too many places um, uh, anymore <laughs> or, or, or end of sentence. Even for most academics, yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, but it enables you to do all sorts of things. And when I say entrepreneur, it means that, you know, you can, you can take on new projects. You could study whatever you want. My advisor years ago, still one of my super bosses really, uh, said, imagine a job where you wake up in the morning, you think about something you want to learn more about, and you go ahead and do it. And that's what you get paid to do. Right. Yeah. Was, uh, you know, and that's what, uh, and that's what, what is, uh, what, what has happened. I've been able to ask the questions I want to do, do the academic research, write the books, uh, I had a stage when I did a lot of TV and radio and I don't do quite as much now. Um, and, you know, just keep coming out with new, new projects that you find interesting. And that's, that's, yeah. and there's no one who keeps you from doing it other than you and your ability and interest and desire to do it. Sounds like a dream. Right. I'm not <laughs> complaining. I am not complaining. I've been blessed. I've been very fortunate. Laurie, yeah. can I get my PhD? Can I get my PhD? <laughs> hey, you do it. Do it. Absolutely. Yeah, we always joke. I was like, I don't want to get my PhD. You should get your PhD and just tell me the cool stuff you're learning. Just give me the cliff notes or the cool stuff. That's cool with me. <laughs> so, Sid, what um, what do you find the most interesting about the the podcast gig that you're doing? Like, what do you what do you love about that? The, the podcast is my, new, uh, is my new love. It's a uh, classic uh, money-losing operation in that uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, I don't get paid anything. I've got no sponsors, and I don't think I'll ever have any sponsors. But I have these amazing conversations with interesting people, and right. my listeners seem to like it. And, uh, and that listener base is growing and growing, and that's exciting. Uh, today, for example, just um, um, I guess at four o'clock Eastern time, so not that long ago, I recorded an episode for season three with uh, Henry Cisneros. Some of you may remember mm. him. He was mm -hmm. the Secretary of the um, um, Housing and Urban Development under yeah. in Clinton administration. And we just had the best conversation about his upbringing and what it was like. And he grew up in the barrio in San Antonio, and his parents were very focused on education. And uh, one thing led to another for him, and uh, some of the challenges along. It was just, it was great. It was like the greatest thing. Um, nice. And so yeah. uh, it is the conversation, the art of conversation that, and you know, you know what, one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast also is that how often do you really have a, I don't know, I'll say deep, but 
Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean deep in some type of psychological way or uh, psychiatric way even, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a real conversation that gets way past the, uh, the formalities and the simplicities and, uh, sure. and you really get to know somebody and, mm-hmm. and your curiosity is, 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 is your key asset uh, there and your listening skills. And um, uh, I, really, I was kind of thirsting for, for that because you yeah. know, the people you know well, you can get into a great conversation. Of course you could, but you're not discovering. Right. And the discovery process, mm-hmm. that's what turns me on. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm kind of doing it for selfish reasons. And luckily other people <laughs> seem to care. Hey, well, I don't know if you heard, but we have Sidney Finkelstein on our show today. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I think that's, it's a, it's kind of a common theme of things that we talk about in this community is around the, you know, the people side of business and that that's really the core of it. And that when we show up as whole people and see other people as whole people and and go deeper to, to understand, walk in their shoes, you know, have some empathy for the people around us that, that, that mm-hmm. elevates everybody. And so I know in a, in a lot of your, uh, kind of the topics in your podcast leadership comes up a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious and, and I know with super bosses, right. That, that research was amazing. Um, but, but what's your, you know, what, what do you, what do you love to learn about people's leadership and, and what you're, when you're talking to folks? So, you know, the, the, the decisions people make at any point in time are not um, usually strategic decisions. Even when we think they are, they're, they're not. Uh, they're, they're influenced by our background, our experiences, our biases, and all kinds of other things. So there's, a, there's an intuitiveness that you can't teach intuition, but there is an intuitiveness to the kind of the, the, the things that people do. But then when you start to look at enough people, both successes, because the two, the, the two books that you mentioned, Lori, Why Smart Executives Fail and Super Bosses, were really two ends of the spectrum. The first on previously successful people that really... Um, really failed and failed in a very public, big way as, as leaders, typically CEOs. And of course, super bosses about the development of the world's best talent and, and really great, uh, great leaders. Um, and when you look at that, you start to see the patterns. And, um, uh, and that's interesting. And empathy is always in the short list, um, as you mentioned that, and it certainly is. Self-awareness. Um, I, could, uh, I, I really feel like I could walk into the room, well, I don't walk into anybody's room now, but let's just say, metaphorically speaking, walk into the room of the CEO, have a conversation, spend an hour or two, whatever. I, I can walk out and tell you how self-aware that person is. Not in a precise metric, but you know, um, directionally speaking. Uh, it really stands out in, er- in everything, how people think and how they, how they behave. So self-awareness um, and, and empathy are the top of the list. I also put uh, curiosity. Um, I yeah. mentioned that already. It's kind of one of these things you try to practice with what you preach, but curiosity. And we really need that curiosity now because business, you know, is not going to be, it's not the same and it's not going to go back. I don't think to the old ways of doing things. And I think for those leaders that are waiting for this thing to be done, well, we're all waiting, but waiting for it to be done so they can go back to what we've done before, what they've done before. Not only is that a bad idea, that's a, that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, I don't think we're going to go back to everything. Mm-hmm. So curiosity, asking questions, being willing to experiment, thinking a little bit differently. That's a gigantic skill, right? And there, are a bunch, there are a bunch of other things I, I would add to that, but those are three at the top of the list, empathy, self-awareness, and, and curiosity. And, um, 
um, I, uh, I'm doing a podcast, I, I guess on Friday I'm recording one with um, someone I've known for years. His name is Bruno Vinciguera. He's French, Frenchman, lives in the U.S. and in London for years. He's the CEO of Bonhams, which is one of the top uh, art auction houses. Mm-hmm. He was a partner at Bain. He was a senior executive at Dell. He's a senior executive at Disney. He's got this really amazing experience. He's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, he's just an interesting. He's a he's a guy I really learned a lot from. We used to meet in New York for a coffee or a drink, and, and just to talk. And uh, now that I have the podcast, uh, I got I finally got around to getting back in touch and asking if he wanted to do. It. He said, "Sure, sure, sure." And uh, he said, "You know, uh, what he thinks are the most important things in leadership." He says, "Are will." The will to do something and luck. That's what he said. Mm. We're going to talk. Uh, we'll talk about not just that, but we will talk about that and have a little debate about about that. I get the will part because I've often talked about if you know if you want to change, you want to do something different. Step one is you got to be willing to do it, and that's not a given. Not everybody is willing to do it, mm-hmm. and you have to muster up the courage. Another word we could use to describe great leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and the luck, yeah, you know, luck is obviously part of it. I don't like the idea of elevating it to a top two. <laughs> I'll put in my top 10 because you can't control luck very much or at all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what he said. So that, that's Interesting. It. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's great. So, you know, when I've, I've been uh, listening to Super Bosses on Audible, I was so hoping that it was going to be you that was reading it because I know, isn't that always a bummer is when, when when the author isn't the reader I, I get so bummed out I'm like oh rub, rub, rub it in that was a clear mistake that I made oh I hey, but we learn we learn I, I remember I can, now I got to write another book just for that purpose uh, not not so easy let me tell you um uh I remember when they offered me that, they offer every author the chance to do it. And they said, well, we're going to lock you in this room, this little booth in Michigan. You're going to fly in. You're going to be there from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. We don't really pay you nothing for it or next to nothing for it. And, uh, and it would take, you know, three or four days. And it did not You're like, that exciting. sounds like no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 no, but um, in retrospect, um, it would have been great to do it. Yeah, that's funny. So, so I've been, um, you know, I love the distinction between the super bosses, right. And the, you found through all of these interviews and studies over all of this time, kind of what's the common denominator, what's the secret sauce behind these, these super bosses. And I loved how you contrasted them with bossy bosses. (laughs) So, so if there's the secret sauce of, of the super bosses, then what's the missing ingredient of the bossy bosses? Because, you know, there, there's kind of common threads among the less effective leaders too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the exercises I usually do in a workshop on super bosses um, is I ask people to think about their own past bosses, including coaches and teachers as well. So pretty, pretty broad. And think about the best and the worst, and then write down what made them. Why do you call these the best? Why do you call these the worst? And then I facilitate a discussion around that. It's really very interesting. Similar patterns, not always the same, but similar patterns tend to come up. Um, you know, the um, um, let's call it the, the, the bossy boss. Uh, this is someone who'll take uh, credit for your work uh, as often as not. This is someone who is a um, who's a micromanager. Mm-hmm. And by the way, super bosses are not a ha- are not hands off managers or leaders. They're very hands on, but they don't go usually as far as kind of the, the, the micromanagement side, which is when you know I do your job for you or I tell you do 
do these mm -hmm. five things and check the box and then come back when you're done without any kind of autonomy or growth or learning mm -hmm. that goes on. Um, and so, yeah, those bossy bosses, they, uh, uh, they really think they, uh, they've got all the answers. They are actually somewhat similar to the why smart executives fail leaders that mm. I profile. And in fact, when I was doing this, the super bosses research, I, I came across this, this thing where there were some, um, there were some similar characteristics to some of the why smart executives fail leaders and some of the super boss leaders. I saw some similarities and that of course troubled me because they went in different directions. And I kept digging and digging and going back and re-interviewing and talking. And I came to realize a really fundamental difference. And, and that is that uh, the, um, the super boss leaders truly understand, even if they are very self-confident, even if they, they're borderline arrogant even, uh, they really understand that to win, to be great, to be successful, they need a fantastic team around them. Yeah. They cannot win without a world-class team. And they put their energies into that. The bossy boss... Uh, thinks about the team as people that will will make me look good, uh, that will do what I tell them to do, and that I will always be the one in the center in the center stage, and mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's a fundamental difference. One denigrates the team, you use really uses the team, and the other one understands that the, that the team is is virtually everything, and, and that that's that's probably the easiest or most succinct way to describe the difference between these super bosses mm -hmm. and the bossy bosses. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, did you, did you set out to do the research in order to write a book or what was the, what was the spark that got you interested in asking these questions? What was the curiosity behind it? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Lori. Um, it, it has a long Genesis. <laughs> um, um, part of it is when I wrote why smart executives fail, um, the book did, you know, very well. And I, um, you know, you go travel a lot, you go speak to go, you know, you do a lot of speeches, you do workshops, you do all kinds of stuff, consulting. And, uh, over time I was starting to get a similar type of question that I don't think I fully, um, I had fully answered. And the question was, okay, I know what can go wrong. I know the things that, that can go wrong in an organization. You've identified them and you've helped, you helped me understand them. But what if I want it not just to go right, but to continue to go right? What if I want, what do I need to do to build an organization that is going to thrive mm -hmm. into the long term? And uh, it's actually a question I didn't answer in that, in that book. Uh, but that was a question everybody wanted to answer. And so I mm -hmm. figured, well, let me, let me tinker around because that seems like a pretty interesting question. And uh, I, um, um, I had a hypothesis, and the hypothesis was that uh, to thrive, to survive, to succeed in the long term as an organization, what you really need is the ability to generate and regenerate talent on a mm -hmm. continual basis. Um, you know, we always talk about, you even said it before, talk about people, talk about talent, but people come and go and the organization changes. And so uh, the ability to keep on filling up that bench with better and better people. And mm -hmm. the definition of better changes over time. That's a gigantic uh, thing. And that, so I, I started looking for people that, had, that did that and talking to them and talking to people that work for them. They're, most of my interviews in super bosses was with, uh, they were with um, protégés of these super bosses who really mm -hmm. could tell me, you know, what, what did they learn? What did they see? What did they get? And they, those interviews were obviously all independent. And then you can see the pattern. You have 15, 20 interviews, which is what I often had on each super boss. 
uh, and then we did the like really detailed pattern analysis, you start to see, yeah, there's a, there's some real commonalities and that became kind of the heart, the heart of the book. So, mm -hmm. um, um, did I know it was going to be a book? Not at the beginning. It was just a good question, right? Yeah. Um, and a question I wanted to know, but as I got into it, I, uh, I came to realize that there's a lot here. There's a lot here and there's a message that I want to, I want to share. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that stood out for me in, in that was that this, some of the super bosses, you can put them into different categories and, and some of them are not super nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I think those, those fell into the, was it the glorious bastards? That, <laughs> was, a, that was a term I coined for them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, it, and so it wasn't always a feel good as contrasting to the nurturers. Right? right. Right. But their, their premise was still the same that I'm looking for amazing talent to lift everybody up. Right. So even though maybe it wasn't a, you know, a warm, fuzzy kind of experience, people knew if you work for this person, it's going to jettison your career, right? This is going to give you um, a whole experience that will accelerate your, your career. And, and I thought that was really interesting, right? That, that, that's still, you know, a, um, still a super boss, even though it looks maybe a little different than maybe the, the nurturing kind of, of boss, but it's that's, different. Yeah, yeah. It's very Jobsian, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people ask me if Steve Jobs is a sewer boss, but in fact, I didn't study him closely. And one of the reasons was that everyone had studied him and it was less mm -hmm. interesting. Sure. Uh, remember, learn, uh, I, I'm in it for a lot of the learning, right? And, right. Um, although I heard enough stories about him that I put him under the glorious bastard category. <laughs> right. Uh, but in any event, um, that's where my head went. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, they, uh, you know, you know what the insight here is to me. Just because you have a nice boss doesn't mean you have a good boss. Right. They are not. They are not the same. I will choose nice over nasty. Most of us will do that. Ninety-nine mm -hmm. percent of us will do that. Yeah. But that should not be the criteria. And I and I I tell it to my students. I tell it to a lot of people. Um, what do you really want? You want. You know. You use the word, uh, Laura. You want to accelerate your career. You. Uh, another way to say it is, you really want to fulfill your aspirations, whatever they happen to be. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has aspirations to be CEO or to lead a department or whatever. We're all different. But whatever those aspirations are, work and career are really kind of core to being able to fulfill, to fulfill them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what you want. So who's going to help you do that? Uh, who's going to push you to get better and better? Mm -hmm. And um, you could do it in a soft way, the nurturing style. But we all know, maybe many, many of you have had bosses like this that are a little tougher. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one of my early bosses actually fired me because he, he said, you need, to, you need to go somewhere else to raise your game. This is, this is not the place for you. And of mm. course, I did not like that one bit. I was not <laughs> pleased. Um, this was actually very, very early when it was but getting a PhD. I was actually teaching as an instructor in the university for, for a couple of years, doing great. And uh, I probably would have kept on doing that for a few more years. But he said, you know, you, you, have, you, have, some, you have some potential. And if you want to, if you really want to make a career, you got to get a PhD at a top place. And I'm not going to, in a sense, you're saying, I'm not going to use you because mm. um, that's going to hold you back. Because of course, as a young guy, I was cheap labor, very yeah. cheap, much cheaper than other people. So mm. it was beneficial on a, on a kind of a cost benefit basis for him. To, Tough love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but he, you know, and I, you know, it's really interesting. 
um, I once gave a talk uh, where he was there. I knew he would be there. And, uh, and I said at some point, um, you know, I was talking about what super buses were, and I said, and I really know what super buses are because I, I, I've, I've had super buses. One of them is right here in the room, and it's over there. It's Stephen. And uh, that was a powerful moment, <laughs> a meaningful yeah. moment for, for, me, for, for me as much as for him. I love that. We, so, some of us um, have done a similar kind of exercise where you talk about who, who's your, the most impactful, best leaders that you've worked for and what made them so. And, and that we talk about it in the vein of emotional intelligence and around, um, you know, the, the people side that they, you know, get the empathy and the, the connection side of things. And, and that's one of the things we always recommend is now that you wrote this down and described them, tell them that, right? right? Send them a text, write them an email, give them a call and let them know that that's the impact they had on you because they may not even know that. So that's, that's cool. You got to do that in person. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's, that's a really big, I mean, you're, that's a big thing. I know, you know, any one of us have had that call. We know what that feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Very yeah. fulfilling. Um, it's as good as anything. Yeah. We always we always tell people, even though it's a silly little training at work, right? The context of that doesn't matter. It's the impact to you and on your life that that person had. And you know, I've seen and heard stories of so many relationships that have been regenerated, refired, right, reconnected, um, just because of this goofy little exercise that we put people through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to point out, um, a comment in the chat that Laurel said, she said, I suggested why smart executives fail to a former CEO back in the day, since I had gotten a lot out of it. His response was, I don't need that because I'm not going to fail. You can guess how that guy's career ended. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually quite a, a interesting thing because I did find that to be a problem for me in book sales because you, nobody, people were afraid to give their boss that book. Um, so I wrote a book called Super Bosses. Now they can't give it to them fast enough. So I <laughs> hang out for lost time. That's funny. Read this book because I'm worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, I guess, you know, we're kind of coming up on the end of our end of our time together. I guess my, my question is, who are you hoping to interview Ooh, on your podcast? That's a good question. You he just had hope- Cisneros. He's got her up his game now. Right. Who are I you hoping to snag that, here <laughs> in your next? Uh, you know, um, in general, I have not interviewed really, really famous people because I, they I actually love that all the time. I love that on the intro, the the write up in your podcast, it says, "I talk to people that you probably don't know," and I thought that was great. Yeah, or or you just don't know very much about, or like a guy like Cisneros, is a very famous guy, but he's not exactly in the news and hasn't been. Yeah, you don't really know much about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, and because there's a lot of CEOs I I know uh, that I've interviewed for you know research purposes or work with and. Uh, they've been interviewed so often, and a couple of times that I've done, I've done this. Um, they're very, very careful in how they talk. Yeah. They've been trained. They've they've gotten their communication training, their their media training. They're good at it. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm interested. In. I'm not trying to catch anyone. I just want to have a real conversation with a real person. And uh, so, so that's, uh, that's kind of why that, that happens. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's any one person. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach out soon to Jake Tapper, who is famous. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he and I have exchanged emails in the past about something, and I don't know whether he'll do it or not, but I think he's just been a pretty incredible journalist um, yeah. for, for a long time. I like me some Tapper. But, you know, the other thing is, there again, in the category of people you never heard of, um, in season three, so I'm done with season two, season three will start in the spring, um, maybe May, let's say, I haven't decided. Um, um, I'm going to uh, do something a little bit different for some of the episodes, kind of like a mini series um, that I'm going to call something like As It Happens. And what it's going to be is a series of, for example, three short, shorter interviews, conversations with the same person at three points in time as they're going through a transition. Oh, neat. So, for example, an entrepreneur, mm. I've started that with uh, four or five people already. So there's one woman, and I've known her for a number of years, and she's actually an academic in Italy, but uh, she always wanted to go in the olive oil business. She lives in Sicily, mm. and her family has some land. And so she's gone in, this is, a side, this is like her side hustle, if you can imagine. <laughs> she's winning awards now uh, in olive oil. And so... Um, we did the first session, but why in the world do you want to do that? And, and how do you go about, how do you even do such a thing? And then the second conversation will be around harvest time, how it turned out. And then we'll do a third conversation. And then I'll put them all together with segues. And, uh, uh, so it's not a person in particular you would know about or someone in, that I really uh, mm-hmm. was thinking I'd like to do a podcast with in the way that you were asking, but it's a type, it's more like this is the type of thing I want to do kind of bring it, you know, because when you talk to someone, it's very easy. We all do this to have retrospective rationality. We can explain anything we did anytime. <laughs> Humans yeah. are very good at this. And um, um, when you talk to someone in real time, it's a little different. Because at the end of, you know, the first part, I asked her, so what are we going to see when we talk next? What are we looking for? Uh, yeah. And then it's on the record. And so right. when we start, we start the second part, I'm going to say, like, well, well. You, said this, you said that. I have somebody who is hoping to get on Shark Tank. Well, we're going to find out if she got on Shark Tank. Nice. Right. We'll talk about that experience. So that's that's what I'm thinking of as something new. That's, well, that's cool. Fun. I love that. Well, and just that that journey, right? That's kind of the the upshot is that we're never really done. And you know, where have I been? Where am I now? Where am I going? That's all. Um, that 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 would be cool to see in those those snapshots. So. Nice. Excellent. So, um, tell us where we can, where we can find you, where we can, you know, stay, stay on top of all of this. Well, you can subscribe to the Sidcast. That's easy enough. The Sidcast.com or just find it on Apple uh, or Spotify or wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you like it, tell your friends, um, (laughs) I actually don't play very hard to get on Google. You could find me just by keeping my name and <laughs> lots and lots of stuff about me. Uh, there's my Dartmouth website. It's a long website, but if you Google me in Dartmouth, you'll find. I have lots and lots of stuff there. Um, a lot of media, but also uh, a lot of um, a lot of the research uh, is is there. You have to kind of go through a couple of tabs. Um, um, yeah. So the, and of course, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with. Uh, any of it that I'm not already connected with on LinkedIn. I used to use Twitter a lot more. I do a bit. Um, and that those would be the primary places. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, it has been a pleasure 
chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have a, a part two. You'll have to come back and, and let us know what's, uh, what's the latest and greatest after season three. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Eric. Uh, thanks everyone for, uh, uh, for hanging out a little bit and uh, being part of this with me. All right. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Everybody, let's give him a big round of applause. Sid Finkelstein. That was awesome. I love that discussion. I, I, I was listening to, to a Sid cast recently. I was listening to the introverts and extroverts one. And I love this concept of ambiverts because, you know, we, we talk a lot about our preferences and tendencies and, and how we feel about stuff. And, and, you know, the jobs that we do and the things that we're required to to do to get through life don't always align with our hardwiring mm -hmm. and we have to step out there and do a thing. And um, I, so I love that notion. And I thought, you know, that, that was Carl Moore. I thought he was hilarious. It was he's a, he's a mile a minute guy. So the yeah. Sid cast is definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth right. checking Thanks. out. Yeah. No, I loved it. All right, so let's get on to some funny things. Um, today's funny things are a little snarky. <laughs> Taiwanese designer Yifei Chen is showing off her tear gun that collects and freezes actual tears to shoot them back at the person that made her cry. <laughs> That's a lot of work to make a point. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty cool. Um <laughs> This one. Like, is that the ultimate passive aggressive? <laughs> <laughs> right, Mariah? That's like straight up cyberpunk Blade Runner stuff. Right? Exactly. How did he die? Killed by the tears of his ex. Oh. <laughs> I'm going Ouch. to weaponize, I'm going to weaponize my bodily fluids. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Funny thing number two, every dead body on Mount Everest was once a very determined individual. So maybe calm down. <laughs> uh, uh, this one. So this is in that space of quotes that you think, whoa, that's really big. And then you learn where it came from and you're like, really? Do you ever think that maybe God stays in heaven because he's afraid of what he's created? Is such a wrong fucking line. Why is it from Spy Kids 2? <laughs> <laughs> this one, if you've ever been a cartoon person, especially a cartoon person of the 70s and 80s, you'll appreciate what this person did to recreate something from your childhood in real life. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, this this one just made me laugh. The existence of Adam Driver implies the existence of Eve Passenger. That's pretty deep, Eric. Right? I don't get that one. Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam and Eve. Eve. Driver oh, and passenger. driver and passenger. All righty, excellent. All right, everybody. Lori, I should I should have given you the cue. That's when you laugh. <laughs> All right. Today's good feels. Uh, this is a fun story. So this is a guy. His name is, uh, what's his name? I'm, I'm spacing on his name. Uh, I can't remember. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, he, he was a uh, crackhead meth head in DC in the 
in the 70s and 80s, came out of it, got sober, became a bishop of a church in town, and now runs a group for men in recovery. And they buy houses and um, Vance Olds, that's his name, Bishop Vance Olds. Um, yeah, that was bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so his, his group now, they buy these houses and, and for men in recovery, they fix them up. And they have to live in them and then, you know, they, they sell them. But he has this whole just vibe about putting good, positive juju into the world. And, you know, he, he did a random TikTok video. And much like the guy with the cranberry juice on the skateboard, he's become a thing. And I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about the guy or what, he's, what he does or what he's about. I stumbled on the video and I was like, I have to have that video and it has to be in the show. And then I did a little bit of, of research and digging around who he was as a person. But this video, if this didn't make you feel good, I don't know what will. Um, the uh, music that you're going to hear is a, a gospel funk artist by the name of Smokey Norfolk. And I just love saying the words Smokey Norfolk. <laughs> so um, here you go. Vance Olds, Smokey Norfolk. <laughs> this, you, sh you guys should all get up and dance because that's what I'm going to do. Here we go. Let's make this happen. It's right, no head we're lifting, and nothing's going to weigh me down. It's already worked out, yeah, and I'm on my way out. I'm the life of the party, and I'm just getting started. Hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That is good, good stuff that's, right there. Maybe that's what I said. He's on roller skates. You <laughs> get <laughs> old school. Right? Uh, I love that story. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my slide. It, it seems like it's stuck. Is it stuck for you guys? It's frozen, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to pull that down and put that up again. Um, hold on just one second, because I've got one more thing for you before you go away. And you'll appreciate this, especially if you're a Colorado person. Do, 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 do. Here we go. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail. Oh, Microsoft PowerPoint just crashed. Oh, wah, is it oh, the Colorado you got... Bulldog, Eric? <laughs> it is or, not. Or lizard. <laughs> it is not. But yeah, more. Uh, uh, Laurel's on the right. Uh, she's on the right track. Hold on. It's coming back up. Hang <laughs> with me. We're going to do this. Maybe. Frozen daiquiri. <laughs> Very frozen with whipped cream on top. <laughs> oh, dear. Here it is. Hold on. Here we go. Five feet of it. Yeah. Right. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eight feet. I did hear eight feet in one in one of the models. I did. That's crazy. So here we go. Today's <laughs> semi queen cocktail is the snow portmanteaus. So if you hate dad puns, it's no wonder you're gonna hate this. <laughs> oh no! So it's a riff on the New York Sour <laughs> Snowmageddon. You say snowpocalypse. You're gonna need a little bit of bourbon. Snow, my God! It's a four corners upsloper. You're going to need some lemon juice. Any toilet paper on the shelf? No way. 
<laughs> Half ounce of maple or simple syrup. This bourbon, it's my Snovocaine, everybody. A little bit of red wine as a float on the top. And then hunker down with your boo and maybe sneak in a little snooky snackshin. If you're not careful, it might be, wait for it, snow creation. Oh, no. <laughs> Optional garnish is a lemon twist. And afterwards, you can always brush up on your snowmenclature. Nice. How much did you have to drink when you wrote this one? <laughs> I was going to say, how many, how many cocktails in? <laughs> this, this is where I say, but you love me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love all of you. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here today. Thanks to Sid Finkelstein for joining us. This is always my favorite day. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Go to the store, get milk and toilet paper or whatever else you need. Lori, I hope you have fun wherever you are, Denver or Dallas. I hope your flights are canceled and you get to hunker down. It was great to see each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the corporate bartender.